a short thought and then we're going to get started. Just something that I saw today in, in, um, in 19 letters that we read every night. And he talks about the fact that the difference between Yisrael and Yaakov, right? So, so Jacob, our forefather, has two different names. One name is Yisrael and one name is Yaakov. When things are going his way, when things are going in a way that the mission is being fulfilled, he is called Yisrael. When things are not going his way, he is called Yaakov, okay? Now, the, I saw an interesting idea that Reverse just makes the point of saying, when the Jewish people as a whole, when we're carrying out the mission of God, then we teach the world about God through our behavior, through modeling the Torah, right? And then we are Yisrael. However, when we, things are not going our way and things are going very poorly and everybody is hating on us, we carry out the mission of Yaakov. In what sense? The very fact that the Jewish people are singled out for the opprobrium of the entire world, that China has the chutzpah to call us out for human rights issues when what, what China is doing, obviously, vastly surpasses it, that they want to pass a resolution calling out Israel, condemning us for the way they were treating an ethnic minority. Sound familiar to anyone, right? That idea, that itself, the fact that we are singled out for so much hatred, that itself is a way of showing the world there's something unique about the relationship between us and God. That is the uniqueness of the Yaakov relationship between us and God. It is not the uniqueness of the Yisrael relationship. Obviously, the ideal is the Yisrael relationship, but to recognize that even this is also part of the unique relationship, I think that's an important point. Okay, let's start on, um, on 41b, and we will start from Mem Aleph Amid Beis, and we'll start from the third line from the bottom. Dimi came up from Eretz Yisrael to, um, to, I'm sorry, from Eretz Yisrael to Babel. He said in the name of Rabbi Yechanan, who was in Amaira in Eretz Yisrael. Shalash the shyness, there were three different types of strings. Shemati, I heard about. Achashel para, one is the para duma, the red heifer has a string on it. Achashel sa'ir hamishtalech, and one is the red string that is on the, the goat that is sent away, la azazel. The achashel metzaira, and one of them is on the metzaira, one of them is on the offering that the metzaira brings. Metzairah, the person who was a leper, when he becomes purified, he brings an offering. Achas mishka asarazuz. One of these strings was the weight of ten zuz. The achas mishka shnei selahim. And one of them was the weight of two selahs, which is eight zuz. The achas mishka shekel. One of them is the weight of a shekel, which is two zuz. The only the farish, and I don't know which one's which. Kiasa Rabin, when Rabin came. He explained the name of Rabbianus and which one's which. Turning the page now. Shall parot mishka asarazuz. The paraduma has to be the red heifer is 10 zuz. That's how much it weighs. And the one that was the goat that is sent away, it is the weight of two salas. And the one that is the offering that a Matsaira brings, it is two zuz. They argue about the, the string that is used for the paraduma. One of them says it has to be 10 zuz. One of them says it has to be two zuz. We're talking about the weight of the string over here. The simanech and the way to remember this. It says one is the one the pasuk in the Torah. The, the idea that the Torah uses this to express is when it's talking about the carbon oil of The idea that we were just talking about yesterday's that that sometimes a rich person can bring one carbon, a poor person can bring a different carbon, right? From each according to his ability, right? From and to each according to his needs, whatever, whatever the line is. So the 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 medrash explains that whether you give a lot or whether you give a little, Hashem cares about what you're thinking and what your devotion and what your emotional state is more than he cares about the specific offering that you're bringing. The way to remember this is that this machlekes amarayim, as to which 
which measure does the paraduma bring is it goes it spans the gamut one opinion is that it brings the heaviest string one opinion is that it brings the lightest string they do not argue about the para, rather they argue about the, the, the goat that is sent away. All that is where they dispute as to whether it's the heaviest or the lightest. And on that day, very day, on that day, one of their Talmudic colleagues dies. His name is Rabbi Barkisei. And they gave to this a memory, right? Something to help us remember this happening. The death of somebody like Rabbi Barkisei gives atonement the same way the, the Sa'ir, the goat that is sent away, brings atonement. I heard about two different types of shechitas. The para is the paraduma, the red heifer. Paroi is the axe that is shechted, that is slaughtered by the Kayin Gadol Anyam Kippur. Okay, high-priest Anyam Kippur. One of these two karbanas, one of these two oxen can be slaughtered by a czar, by a non-Kayin, and will be good. One of them can be slaughtered by a non-Kayin. It will be invalid. I don't know which one's which. It's my thing. Right now, I was going to try to delve into this question. We know that one of these two paras, there's a para that is called the red heifer. There is a para that is the axe that is brought by the kain god. Well, one of them can be slaughtered by a non and one of them cannot. We don't know yet at this point which one's which. It's my. The shakhtin of his cow and the cow, that is the paraduma cow, the red heifer cow. Rav Shmuel, Chadamar Parabsulay, the two first two Amorayim, right? Rav and Shmuel, who are, you know, at the very beginning of the time period of the Amorayim. One of them says that the Paraduma will be puzzled if shafted by a, a non kohen One of them, and the Paray, the par of the kohen Gadol will be kosher. And one of them says the opposite. That the kohen Gadol's acts will be puzzled if shafted by a non kohen but the Paraduma will be kosher if shafted by a non kohen The Gemara now tries to figure out which one's which, because at this point in the in the tradition, we did not come down which one held which position. We're trying to figure out from their other positions elsewhere in Shas that will help indicate to us what they held about this question. This time, the Rav Udamar Parab Sulei, I can bring you a proof that Rav is the one who says that a paraduma is possible if shechted by a non-kayin. Dabar of Zera, of Zera says, Shritas para bazar psula. Of Zera was certainly of the opinion, and later Amora was of the opinion that if the red heifer is slaughtered by a non-kayin, it is an invalid shechting. And Rav said about this idea, the Pasik in the Torah, when it talks about Zeus Chukas the Pasik is, is describing what Aaron should do with this red heifer. And it says in the Perek discussing this, in Parashas Chukas, that's coming up soon, it describes it as a Lazar, who is the son of Aaron, and it also describes it as a Chukah, as something that will apply forever. This teaches us that it has to be shechted by a Lazar. The Rab, Maishna Parad of Sivil Azar Chukah, Parenami Haksiv, Aaron Chukah. One second. If it's about the fact that it mentions the name of the Kain Gadol and also mentions Chukah, that this is a statute that will never be eliminated, well, okay, great. That's great for Elazar and his statute, right? But what about the fact that we have Aaron and Kain? When it comes to the para that Aaron is going to Shech, when we talk about the the Achrei Meskudashim, when we talk about the Yom Kippur service, we are describing it as the service that Aaron does, and we describe it as a Chukah. So why is that one non-specific and can also be shafted by a non-Kohen? But the other one is specific and cannot be shafted by a non-Kohen. So the Gemara says, The shafting of the animal on Yom Kippur is not considered to be part of the service. And therefore, although the paraduma cannot be shafted by, can be shafted by someone, cannot, sorry, paraduma cannot be shafted by someone else. It says chukah, and it also says alazar. I, by Aaron, it also says chukah, statute, and it also says Aaron. 
Over there, since it is not part of the service, it can be done by a non-Kohen. Yihachi, if so, Haranami. One second, if Shrita, the slaughtering, is not part of the service, and that's why it can be done by a non-Kohen, and by a paraduma, a red heifer should be the same thing, but should also be able to be accomplished by a non-Kohen. Shani para the kachipetika biasi. The Gemara answer is that no, not so simple. A para aduma is what we call kachipetika bias. Para aduma is not the highest level of kedusha. It was made consecrated. It was made holy on condition that its value should be used for the sake of the base hamikdash. And therefore, that therefore it, the service, the part of the shachting, that's not going to be the ikuba. It's not going to invalidate the entire procedure. Gemara asks, One second. Actually, on the contrary, if it is true that it is a kachepetic bias, is a lower level of holiness, then certainly it should be invalid. I'm sorry, then certainly it should be permitted for a non-Kohen to do the shechita of the paraduma, to do the shechting of the, of the red heifer. Because if even on Yom Kippur, when you're talking about shechting the cow, that is for the sake of the Kohen Gadol, which is not kachepetic bias, it is a higher level of holiness, and it still works if a non-Kohen shechts it, and certainly the paradum, which is a lesser level of holiness, should work with a non-Kohen Shachter. I have to say it's going to be similar to Maris Nagayim, to the idea of the showing of your Nagayim, the showing of a, a leprosy type, a skill and skin illness that has to be shown to the Kayin. So to over here, the Lava Baidehi over there, that's not a service. And it requires a Kayin to adjudicate or to determine that this is indeed uh, Matsaira. Right, leprosy. But going so good. So now we're the right. What we're saying is like this: Rab held that the fact that it says chuka and alazar about para aduma that teaches you that the para aduma has to be shafted by the kain kadol. Right? I'm sorry, by a kain and not by a zar. But it does not say it by Aaron. Ah, it does say something by Aaron. Well, it says something, but it's because the shrita is not part of the service, so therefore it can be done by non kain. Okay, well, Shrita is not part of the service, so to Paraduma should be able to be done by a non Kayin. The Gemara answers it's true that the Shrita is not part of the service by a, by a, uh, a, para, by a Paraduma, but Paraduma is in a different category. It's more similar to Megayim, and over there it has to be done by the Kayin. The Gemara now asks, Well, now that we've determined that Rab is the one who says that the Paraduma cannot be done, cannot be shafted by a Yisrael, right? Well, that means that Shmuel is the one who says that the, the, the Par, the Yom Kippur, uh, Cow can be shafted by a cannot be shafted by another person, but the paraduma could be shafted by another person. Why does Shmuel say that? Why is it that a, the cow and Yom Kippur cannot be shafted by another person? The Chibas it's written Aaron Bechuka. Over here he holds the opposite. He says it says Aaron, and it also says Puka, a statue that teaches us that the cow can only be shafted by Aaron, or at least by the Kayin Gadol, or at least by a Kayin at the very least. Paranami by a regular, a regular paraduma, the red heifer, it says Elazar and Chalika. So why does he differ? And why does he say that could be shachted by a non-Kohen? Shani Hasam, it's different over there. Over there it says specifically, it shall be, he shall shacht her in front of him. This teaches you that a, a zar, a non-Kohen, can do the shechita. We are on the bottom of 42a, uh, about um, eight lines up or so. The Elazar Raya teaches you that the a non kayan can do the shechita as long as the kayan gadol is overseeing the shechita. The Rab, so Rab says, what does that teach you? That it has to be shechted in front of him? It does not mean that the shechita is done by a non kohen in front of the kohen. Rather, what it means is, shaloya siach daito mimena, that he should not leave sight of the fact that right now he is doing the shechita of the karban. At all times, he has to be thinking, I am currently engaged in doing the shechita, doing the slaughtering process. The Gemara now says, 
Um, had a Shmuel derive this law that the, the person doing the Shrita cannot stop thinking about the Shrita while he's doing it. He learns out from the fact that it says, and he shall burn the of in front of his eyes. The Rav says, I need both of them. One to teach you that the Shrita has to be done in front of the Kayin while he is thinking about it. And the other one to teach you that the Sarefa, the burning, has to be done while he is thinking about it. Now, why do I need two separate verses? Maybe I could have only said it by the shechita and from there learned out to the burning, or by the burning and learned out from there to the shechita, to the slaughtering. But tzricha, we needed both of them. The ikas rachman of shechita, if the pasuk only would have stated when it comes to the slaughtering that it has to be done without any sort of deviation, without any sort of lack of concentration of the service at hand, I would have thought to say that only the actual shechita, there cannot be any sort of loss of concentration because that's the beginning part of the service. Perhaps when it comes to the burning, it's okay if there's a little bit of a lack of concentration. That's why we needed to say it that way. If we only would have written by shechita, by the burning, then the concentration. Maybe because the burning is the very last part of making it ready to be brought as the to help them be matired, to help purify people. And that's why it needs to have the proper level of concentration and intent. But perhaps the, the shechting, the, the slaughtering, which is the very beginning of the process, maybe does not need proper, maybe does not need, you know, full-on concentration the whole time. Therefore, it's Richa, we need to both them separately. Well, if so, that you needed a Pasuk to teach you that the, at the time of the slaughtering, you have to have full concentration, no lack of concentration. And at the time of the burning, you have to have full concentration. Well, then what's it coming to exclude? Where is it that you do not need to have concentration at the whole time and you could actually lose track for a moment and it will still not invalidate part of the process? What time period would that be? If you would say that it means to say that at the time of the gathering together of the ashes that you burnt, the, the paraduma, now you're gathering those ashes, maybe over there, you could, you could your mind could drift. You could start thinking about who's going to win the World Series this year. That's okay. Not, not ideal, but at least it would be okay. It's not going to invalidate. And maybe also, and perhaps also the, the, when you draw the water from the Mayan, from the spring, for the sake of using that water, making it holy, for the sake of pouring the ashes into it, which you're then going to use that water mixed with ashes to sprinkle on people to purify them. Maybe you could say that over there, you don't need to have a proper level of intent. Turning the page now to 42b. That's not possible. Of course, you need a proper level of intent at that point. The Pasuk says, right? It says, it shall be watched over for a water of the sprinkling, right? For the purification process. So that itself indicates that surely over there, you cannot lose your concentration for even a moment, right? So rather it has to be that you don't, it's teaching you that you don't need to have full on concentration at the time of the throwing in of the cedar wood, at the time of the throwing in of the Eza, which is the hisaf, at the time of the shenitelas, which is the red string. The lab group of the pardon, because that's not actually part of the real purification. Mean, it is part of the purification process. The word that the Gemara uses is because that's not part of the para itself. Okay. It was stated. If somebody shafts the red heifer using a non coin, Rabbi Ami says it is kosher. Rabbi says it is possible, right? So we're literally now having later on Marayim having a dispute as to do we follow the opinion of Rabbi Shmuel. Ula Ula says it is kosher. Another people say that it was possible. Okay, we haven't yet come to a clear conclusion in this Gemara part. Gemara now asks a question that is going to be a support of Rav and a, um, a, a problem with Shmuel, right? 
Masav Rav Yeshua Bar Abba Lishu Ala Rab. Yeshua Bar Abba tries to bring a proof to the opinion of Rab. I know only that the sprinkling of its water, that is not okay if you use a woman to sprinkle the water at the same way that it would be done by a man, which would be kosher, but by a woman, it would not be kosher. And the ink shaven and it can only be done during the day. How do you know that the shechting, the accepting of its blood of the paradigm of and the sprinkling of its blood, and the burning of it, and the throwing of the of the cedar wood and the hyssop and the red string? How do you know that it cannot be kosher if it is done at night? We are not asking that it cannot be kosher if done by a woman that we understood already implicitly. So the only question is, how do we know that it's not kosher if done at night? We know about the sprinkling of the blood, but how do you know about the, how do you, sorry, we know about the sprinkling of the water. How do you know about these other steps? The process cannot be done by a woman. The process says Torah. Torah teaches that all of these laws are similar. The same way that the sprinkling of the water cannot be done by a woman, it cannot be done at night. So too, these other aspects, the same problem. Maybe I would have thought to say that even the gathering of the water and the gathering of the ashes, the drawing up of the water, maybe that also cannot be done at night. Therefore, the says, only these separate set of laws that are related to the actual process of, of, um, of processing the cow and getting the water ready once it's already had the ashes in it, that cannot be done at night. But any other step can actually be done at night. Now says, How do you know which steps of the process should be excluded from being done at night because they're considered to be similar to the sprinkling of the water and which steps are dissimilar and therefore can be done even at night? We have one Pasuk that says Torah. The Torah Pasuk teaches us that other laws are similar to the sprinkling. The Pasuk that says Zos teaches us that there is a limitation on which things are similar and some things are going, still going to be dissimilar and will still be valid even if done at night. So how do you know which ones to include? Amrit, we could say, We should have been able to learn out everything from the laws regarding the sprinkling of the water. Just like the sprinkling of the water, it will not be kosher if a woman does it, as opposed to what a man would do it. And it is only kosher during the day. So what we're saying is that if you have the quality that this is a part of the process that can only be kosher if done by a man as opposed to a woman, and that will also indicate to you that it also can only be kosher if done during the day and not at night. Also, then we're going to include the shechting, the accepting of the blood, the sprinkling of the blood, and the burning of the cow, and also the throwing of the cedar wood, the throwing of the hyssop, and the throwing of the red string. If a woman would do it, it would be invalid. So too, ain't sharing elevating. That we said already, that is when you have this present, that the sprinkling done by a, any part of the aspect that would be done by a woman is not valid, then that is also not valid to be done at night. So therefore, it's very simple. Which parts of the paraduma process cannot be done by a woman? Okay, then it cannot be done at night. What can we exclude? And we could say it can even be done at night. And then we can, we can exclude the gathering of the ashes and the lifting up of the water and the sanctifying of the water that you're going to put the ashes into. Since it would be valid even if done by a woman, the same way a man could do it, then it would even be valid during the night as well as the day. So the Gemara now says, what was the Gemara trying to prove from this whole conversation? We just went into a little bit of a tangent, but what were we trying to get to? Trying to get to is that this makes it clear that the shechting 
the shechita can be done by any man, right? Because if the shechitin of the paraduma, the red heifer, cannot be done by any man, then what's your proof that there's something called, there's something that a man could do, something that a woman could do? Where do you see that? It must be that the shechitin of the paraduma can be done by any man. The Gemara now says, is this really a good disproof? If you're going to say, well, the disproof is that it's invalid if done by a woman, then sulanami bazar. Well, if the if it's if it's invalid if done by a woman, then it should also be invalid if done by a czar, a non-kain. Hazas may the sprinkling of the waters disprove it. The sprinkling of the waters are invalid if done by a woman, but they are valid if done by a non-kohen. This is the disproof. And this is the way in which we prove that indeed. A czar cannot do the sprinkling, cannot do the shechita of a para aduma, a red heifer. A czar, once again, is a non-coin. Isha, my time, why is the woman not allowed to do the slaughtering? Elazar v'lay Isha. It says Elazar. The implication is Elazar and not a woman. Zar nami, the Pasuk also would also exclude a czar, a non-coin. Elazar v'lay czar. If it says Elazar, Elazar is who? The son of the Kain Gadol which makes him a non-Yisrael. Non and therefore, if it says it has to be like a Lazar, it means it cannot be a Yisrael. So then we should also be able to exclude uh, a, a non-Kohen. Amr Ula. Kola parsha kula mashma meitzi miyad mashma. All of the parsha is mashma meitzi, and it's mashma that miyad mashma, umashma mimela. You have, you have verses, you have parts of this Pasuk that seem to imply that things are different than that which immediately preceded it, and parts which seem to imply that not necessarily different than that which immediately preceded it. It says that you shall give her to Elazar the Kohen. Only that carbon needs to be given specifically to Elazar, who was the, the, um, the Skan Kohen Gadol at that time. He is the deputy Kohen Gadol to his father, Aram. But in the later generations, indeed, the paraduma can be given even to people who are not a kain. I mean, another, another way to say this would be later generations you have to give it to the kain gadol. The ikadami, another way to say this would be another generations you give it to the kain hadith, to a non kohen. I'm sorry, to a kain who is not the kain gadol. According to the one who says that in later generations it does not need to be given specifically to the scan, to the deputy kain gadol, or to the kain gadol himself. It can even be given to a regular kain. It makes sense. But according to the one who says that in the next generations, not just the first paradigm, but even the, the next times that we have a paradigm, it always has to be done with the Kayin Gadol specifically. Minale, how do you see this? You're going to have to derive it based on what we call Xerah Shaba, where you have the same word in two different portions of the Torah. We have a tradition that you should learn from one place to the other. It says Chuka by Yom Kippur. It says Chuka by Paraduma. The same way that the Paraduma, I'm sorry, the Yom Kippur service can only be done by the Kayin Gadol, so too. The paraduma service can only be done by a kayin gadol. And then take out the case of shaloyetzi acheres ima. What does it mean when it says that you shall take out this paraduma? It means you're not allowed to take out another cow with it. Kiditnan, as we learned in a Mishnah in para. Let's say the paraduma, you're trying to bring it out to the place where it's going to get burned. And the paraduma is being recalcitrant. It's not coming. Not coming at all. Excuse it to come. Maybe what you might think to do is go take another cow out with it. You put two cows together, the second cow will follow. Problem is, we do not want you to do that. We do not want you taking a black cow out with your paraduma. We don't want people to say, oh, perhaps he ended up shechting the black cow. Right? So therefore, the halach is you're not supposed to take the cow out with it at all. They might see an ima'aduma and they won't take out with it another red heifer. 
People will not say that they ended up slaughtering two cows at this time. Rebbe says, This is not the real issue of that people will say. The reason why you should only take out one cow is not out of a rabbinic concern that people will think you shechted the wrong cow or that perhaps you shechted two cows at the same time. Rather, the reason is the Pasuk says explicitly, take her out by herself. The Tanakama, why doesn't the Tanakama agree to this? Why does the Tanakama have to come up with these other, with this other idea, with these um, idea of the, with the idea of, um, with the idea of, of uh, the rabbinic enactment, why doesn't he agree with this verse? The Tanakama, Haksiv Isa. It says Isa. Indeed, it does say Isa. Right? It says oh, specifically that one. Man Tanakama. Who is the Tanakama who did not, the first author, the, for, the author of the first part of the Mishnah, who did not want to learn from the verse and instead wanted to learn from a rabbinic enactment? It is Rabbi Shimon. He, it is Rabbi Shimon. The Darash Dikra, who actually induces or in, in, interprets and uses his own reasoning to understand what the verse is teaching us. Right? And therefore, since he understands the, the reason behind the verse, Rabbi Shimon was not saying this is rabbinic enactment. He's saying that the Torah forbids you to take out any other cow out of a concern that someone would say, perhaps you shechted the black cow or perhaps you shechted two cows at the same time. Okay, I think we'll, we'll continue tomorrow and go through what the difference is between these two opinions. If they're both agreeing that it's actually derived from the verse that says don't bring them out at the same time, right? So what's the difference? The writer of Shimon needs to teach us the reasoning behind the Torah verse. How did that make any difference in terms of the halacha? If the halacha is you have to bring it out by itself, then what's the difference why you have to bring it out by yourself? How is that going to have any practical application that would therefore determine that Rabbi Shimon wanted to derive or explain to us what the source and what the reasoning is, because that will have a, a practical implication. If it's not going to have a practical implication, you don't need to give us the reasoning why the Torah forbade bringing uh, more than one cow out at the same time.